0: Before we get to the scripture this morning, I actually want to take a moment. On the calendar in a few days, we're going to recognize across this nation veterans. And we're grateful as a church because of the religious liberty that we possess and because of the the immense amount of struggle that our nation sees that, that we have in our number, a number of individuals that have served our nation to ensure our liberty so that we might proclaim Jesus. And because of that, we want to give thanks to these veterans. So if you're a veteran in this place, if you would stand and be recognized. (laughs) I hope that you'll take the opportunity this week to make sure you recognize those in your family and those in your friend's number and those that are in your world, that you can say thank you to them. That being said, now I'd have you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. When you get to Mark chapter 5, I want you to find verse number 8. When you find verse number 8, I would like for you to stand in honor of God's Word. Mark chapter 5, verse number 8 says this For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also, we begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission and the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled and told, or they told, in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that as we come to this house of worship and as we open your scriptures, Lord, that we can look at a passage of scripture that teaches us something about who you are. Lord, the knowing of you and the knowing better of you and each and every church service that we have is is a chief goal of my own, but I pray that it's the same of everyone here that believes in you. I pray that this morning that as we look to the scriptures, we will be reminded that you are the king most high and that everything in creation is subject to your authority. I pray that we would be obedient as a result. Obedient, Lord, to you, obedient to your calling, obedient to your every wish and desire. We ask for this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So, just right off the bat, point number one this morning that I would like to, to, to share with you is that Jesus commands the wind and the waves and everything else. And so if you're keeping notes, that's your first, that's your first bullet point there. I, I think that it's interesting that if you look at the whole passage, that in chapter four, that Jesus calms the sea, he calms the storm, he gets in a place where when people are looking to him, the disciples don't have any idea who he is. And as a result of them not knowing who he is, immediately encounters a demon-possessed man that knows exactly who he is. And then in the transition, the great fear that's on the demon-possessed man is, that, is this, this concern for himself where he says, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. That's the end of the last sermon that we talked about. And so we see here that in verse number eight, Jesus giving an issue of a command. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And you're thinking, wow, what what a peculiar statement. I want you to really, really let this marinate because it's going to be a big part of this message and I want you to see it. it. It would be easy to miss it because we're so concerned about the strange nature of this man being possessed. And because this is something that we don't reconcile very well with ourselves about the world around us. But if you don't look at Jesus in this moment and you look at the demon-possessed man, you will miss it. I want you to look at Jesus in this picture. Jesus in this picture is so powerful that when he speaks, even the demons obey him. This is the Jesus of heaven that came to earth to die on the cross for your sins. This is the Jesus who the scripture tells us that every knee and every tongue I mean, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to him. This is the Jesus that when he comes in his righteous glory and revelation, that the battle on the battlefield is ended immediately because of his spoken word. This is the Jesus that was present at creation, that when he speaks, all of life comes and springs forth into existence. This is the authoritative king of kings, the most high, and even the demons obey him. Make sure we're looking at Jesus in this moment. Make sure we're seeing him. We're so concerned oftentimes because we are self-centered beings that oftentimes we are looking at legion. We're looking at the demons and we're looking at the man and we're, we're looking everywhere but at Jesus. But I hope that when you look to scripture, you are looking for Jesus because Jesus is right there in the middle of this and he is giving a clear command. And I want you to see the picture. Come out of the man, unclean spirit. This is not a question. This is not a suggestion. This is a direct command. What a powerful statement. I want you to see it. See it with me. That Jesus is in charge of everything. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is in charge of everything. Including you, by the way. I I hope that you realize that the magnitude of what's taking place here in Scripture ought to be something that creates this awe in us. And and there's this sensation of great fear in the demon-possessed man. We're going to see it rear its head again at the very end of the verses we read this morning, that fear shows back up. And fear dictates so much of our lives. I have oftentimes said as a minister that if you look at people hard enough and long enough, that you'll begin to understand their insecurities. And if you can understand their insecurities, which all of you have, by the way, including myself, that you can understand better what a person really thinks wants, needs and, and has to have in order to function in life. Most of us are working so hard to get around them, our fears, that is, and our insecurities, that we don't know how to function except for to... Steer away from the things that make people see us as vulnerable or weak. Uh, there's this boy that, that takes a role in a, in a drama that's happening, a theatrical production that's happening in his school, and he's given a very short line, and, and he is nervous about delivering it. And the line is something like this. It is I, be not afraid. This is the whole thing he's supposed to memorize and get up on stage and deliver. When he gets up on stage, what he delivers is this line instead. It's me, and I'm scared. And I think that's the truth of most of us, isn't it? The fear in us leads us to worry about how we look, how we, how we dress, how we present ourselves, what we do and don't say, how we do all the things. This demon-possessed man is, is concerned that Jesus is going to torment him. And Jesus just commands the spirits to come out of him. Aren't you glad that our Savior is a good Savior? One who loves us and cares about us? One who is intent to see us succeed, one who is intent to to help us into a whole and right relationship with himself, not to discard us so quickly and so easily. You see, in this passage, we will see Jesus discard from one man well over a thousand demons. What wouldn't he do for you to restore your relationship to him? We we miss it because we're not looking at Jesus. Jesus. Verse number nine says, then he asked him, what is your name? Now, I think this is fantastic. A couple of weeks ago when we got to the woman at the well and we see the picture, um, we see Jesus interacting with a woman and he knows everything there is to know about her. And we go back to to the very first sermon that I preached here and I talked to you about the significance of of God Almighty knowing Samuel by name. right? And we we get to this moment and he asks this question. As if to subdue this moment. It says, and he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. And there's this picture of investigation. I don't know about you, but in the moments in my life where I have been, where I have been called upon to be, be sat in front of any voice of authority in my life, There's always that moment of nervousness. Now, I've told this story a couple times to some of the folks that are here. It's kind of interesting. My name is a common name. I did not realize how common my name was until I went to create a user um, login or password for some airline when I was in college and I was like, all the variations on Ben Taylor are taken. You have to get a little creative. You know, I'm not quite a John Doe, but I'm there, you know, or a Mr. Smith. I don't, you know, I understand common names, right? So common that in my high school, on more than one occasion, I was summoned to the dean's office. Not to say that I was never summoned there because I should have been there, but on most of these instances, I was summoned there because another kid had my name. And I would show up, and the first time, the dean was like, so what's going on with such and such and blah, blah, blah? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, you weren't doing such and such with so and so? And I was like, no, sir, I was doing X, Y, and Z in my, my class. And he's like, your name's not, I said, my name is... And he's like, let me look at your record. And and he pulls it up and I said, and he goes, oh, there's two of you. After a couple of times of this, I would get to his office and he'd look at me and go, the other one, and he would send me away. But every time I got called, I got just a little insecure and a lot nervous. And there were times when I was called where I should have been called, but I will say this to you. When the king of all creation leans in and says, Tell me your name. These demons are significant. But when he talks about humankind, he knows their names. Do you see the stark contrast? That which is redeemable and that which he wants to save all of humankind, he knows you by name. These demons who are outside of of want and desire to be redeemed and have decided to follow, the enemy away from him, he he is not concerned with them. Until they start to bother his own, and then there's this moment. The answer is powerful. My name is legion for we are many. One Jesus to deal with all of this. It only takes one Jesus. It only takes his one sacrifice and it only takes his one command to make it all right. And if you don't begin to learn that in the scriptures, then you won't see it anywhere else. We see this picture. Verse 10. And for the second point, and I'll give it to you before I give you the verse. People oftentimes ask Jesus for the wrong things. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, have you asked Jesus for the wrong things today? I oftentimes will tell people that they are asking the wrong questions. When it comes to matters in church life, oftentimes we'll ask all these strange questions about all these functionality issues, and I will tell people, we're asking the wrong questions because we're not asking, how do we see more people come to church and be introduced to Jesus and follow him? How do we see more people who already know him become discipled? How do we see more people who are discipled sent? We're asking the wrong questions. We need to learn to start asking the right questions because we oftentimes ask Jesus for all the wrong things and that's purely exemplified in this passage. Also, we begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Verse 10. Now a large herd of swine was feeding near the mountains. So all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And this is the picture this is the picture that, that in, in the world that Jesus lived in, being a Hebrew man, even though he is not in a Hebrew community, he, he has traveled outside of this greater Hebrew map into a, a very Gentile map where the swine are farmed and raised and, and, and this herd is there. That there's this picture where this would have been insulting to Jesus to have interacted with these swine to some extent. Unclean things clean all the time. So, I mean, if it wasn't for Jesus that ham at Easter wouldn't taste so good. For some of you that understand Hebrew culture, you're like, yeah, you're right, Brother Ben. We would stay completely away from that. We see this moment where where Jesus is is standing before this this demon-possessed man, and the question is, and the begging is, don't make us leave. Don't let us stay. And it's this weird sort of in-between and I think that sometimes when people come to church, they expect certain things from God. And they want to ask him things. And they come to Jesus, and they want Jesus to do X, Y, and Z for them. And all the while, they're terrified of him. And they're terrified of what this is. And they're terrified of what we think as church people. And, and all of these things are, are just spinning around in them. And what they're asking for is the wrong thing. Because the one thing that he's offered us is enough. Enough. But, but we make it about salvation plus something else all the time. But I want you to look at your neighbor and say, salvation is enough. It is enough for you. It is enough for me. Salvation is enough. He doesn't have to offer me anything else. Although I would beg of him so many times, and he says we have not because we ask not. But I'm telling you, if he gives me nothing else besides my salvation, it's enough. I don't need anything else from him. Everything else is extra. And yet he encourages us to ask. This is how great God is. That Jesus will come to this world and die for us and offer us salvation and also then allow us to ask him for a bunch of other stuff. But I think when people, when they don't understand it, they come here and they ask for the wrong things. And all the while, what what occurs in the midst of this is what? There's a, a... an amount of destruction that's about to befall the world around, around them because of this, of this moment. Asking Jesus for the wrong things, this large herd of swine on the mountains, and it says, send us to the swines that we may enter them. Verse number 13, and at once Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. And point number three this morning that I would hope you would see with me is that we often are destructive to the world around us when we are running from Jesus. If you find that you have interacted with Jesus and it has scared you and you're not sure what to do next, the the right answer is not run away from him. The right answer is not to ask him to leave you alone, the right answer is not to beg him to let you be something that you're not. The right answer is to cry out for his mercy. And look for his salvation and his grace. Remembering that he is the king of all kings. And he is the highest authoritative voice. And there's this this moment when this destruction that is all around us. We see the world, don't we? You want to know why the world is the way it is? Because far too many people are running away from God. Far too many people are running away from Jesus. Because far too many of us fail to comply when he invites us to do a work. We act as though this Jesus who tells demons what to do, when he leans in and he invites you to go on mission to Honduras or to help in a connect group or be part of a van ministry at church, we act like it's optional, like he's not also able to tell demons to get out. And we forget that whom it is we turn down on a regular basis is not one to be trifled with. And, And I would suggest to you this morning that obedience is the thing that he wants from us. It is the absolute thing that he is is leaning in. But because he's benevolent and gracious, he's not forcing us. And I am grateful every day for every time I fall short, when I don't do exactly as he's asked me to do, that there there is grace for that. But I am here to tell you that we should never forget that he is exactly who he says he is. And that when the Bible talks about him being able to command demons, then we ought to make very certain that when he leans in and invites us to something, that we ought to do it. And if you can't say amen... There's this picture here, isn't it? But we see this thing. This thing has occurred, and and there's this wanton destruction that has occurred, and there's much that could be said about it. But this morning I'd like to move forward. So verse number 14. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and the country. Jesus' fame spreads like wildfire, by the way. I always love it that whatever he does, it either makes some group of people in between you know a young preacher went out um early in his preaching ministry and and he 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 preached a message and he came back to his home church and the minister that was there asked him he says did anybody get upset and the young minister said no they all told me what a good job i did and then the pastor looked at at this young preacher and he says did anybody get saved he says no he says you probably ought to not preach anymore Because if it doesn't bother you and it doesn't change you, then it's not effective at all. You see, I know that when I'm done some Sundays, people walk out of here and they're uncomfortable and they're unhappy. But I also know that on the other edge of that, surrender is waiting for those that want to turn. I know that if this, this right here doesn't cause you a conflict in the status quo of what we're all comfortable with, because most of us would really love at the end of every day to find a comfortable chair and a program on TV we like. But this book is asking so much more of us. And when that gets into our life, we're like, man, do I really have permission to have this comfortable chair and this program I like? I know I sound old when I call it a program, don't I? My wife tells me all the time, I'm such an old man, and some of you in this room are saying you are not an old man yet, and I know that. I just have old tendencies, I guess. I call it an icebox, too. Some of you are like, what's wrong with that? Some of you are like, what is that? Jesus' fame spreads because people don't agree or do agree. It's powerful. Verse 15 says, Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. I mean, life change is taking hold because Jesus is at work. Life change is what's introduced when Jesus works in our midst. If you're not either not facing him or you're not close to him. Because there's nothing about me that is the same as what it was. And there's this moment where I think the comfortable nature of our lives tells us that obedience doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be sacrifice. But if that were true, then Jesus' death on the cross would seem a whole lot more or a whole lot less than what it should be. But it is exactly what it should be. It is painful sacrifice, and it asks of us something, a little life change from day to day, a little change in direction from moment to moment. It doesn't ask for us the same thing it asked of Jesus, not all at once, but it does ask for us the same thing that it asked of Jesus, a little bit at a time, and we see the moment here where this transformation is taking place, and and I'm reminded of a moment in my life where I'm sitting in a van, and I know this sounds kind of crazy, but you know, the things that church vans get to do in their lives and the ministry that they get to encounter is something that you should covet being a part of. I know we're not supposed to covet things, but that means want really badly. But took a, a fistful of, of church vans to South Padre Island, and the whole point of us being there during spring break was to haul college students around so we could tell people about Jesus. And in the evening, we would give people rides back and forth. and People would say, man, that seems kind of crazy. You're like, people are calling you from the hotel and they're saying, take us to such and such place, and, and who knows what they'll be doing there? And we're like... And I never once asked them to get out once they got in the van. And I always told them that the thing that it would cost them is us one conversation about Jesus and a prayer at the end. But I'm sitting in one of these vehicles with the guy who started this so many years ago. And Buddy is this brilliant guy. And he hears some of these conversations that are going on, and we're witnessing to these college students that are all over there. Peer to peer. And some of these guys are bright. Man, they're college students. They're, They're intelligent. At least you'd like to think college students are intelligent. And they are going to students that we've brought frequently. And how we're lining up because we're there, part of a big group, and there's lots of different people. And so we kind of keep running into the same groups of kids. And we're like, man, it's crazy that we keep running the same group of kids. Well, at one point, the exhaustion that has laid hold of our, of our team and the, 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 the fierce nature of rebuttal that's coming from the other side causes Buddy to lean in who's been driving. And by the way, Buddy stopped randomly in the middle of the trip, and you could see him stalling so that we could have more time to talk. And he's emptying things out of the van, and he's putting things in the trash, circling around, he's checking tire pressure. I mean, the, the man is a genius because he's given us lots of time to talk about. It. But finally, we've had... Kind of got to the end of this, and Buddy just stops the conversation. He just leans in, he looks at this college student from Arizona State, and he says, "Let me ask you one question. Do you believe it's possible for a man to die and then for God to raise him from the dead?" And the college student was stunned. That's possible. And the college student says, "I don't believe that's possible." And he says, then I guess we're done here because that's what we're offering. We're offering a man who comes back from the dead. Today in the baptistry, you saw examples of people who believe that Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the grave, and God raised him from the dead. And we believe. When a demon-possessed man is, is completely obliterated of his bondage. And the people around them can't handle it, and they're afraid. You know, there, there are lots of reasons for obedience, and, and remarkably, I'm going to give you three this morning. And the first one is fear. And most of us come to God, and we have this kind of introdu- introductory relationship with him, and we're afraid, and we have this fearful relationship with God, so we do things for God because we feel like we have to. That's reason number one. Reason number two is reward. We think that if we do good things for God, that he will reward us. I already mentioned that salvation is enough. And he offered that up front. He doesn't owe us anything. He offered us what he intended to do. It gives us more. It's so amazing. But we don't, we don't find obedience to be very... When we do it for either fear or reward. Because people will eventually grow tired of being afraid or they will get tired of not getting what they think they deserve. So there's only one great reason, and number three for for obedience is love. Because we love our Savior, we are obedient to him, expecting nothing more than this relationship we already have. It's because we want to do it. I don't do this because I feel like I have to. I don't do this because I'm afraid of what will happen if I do not. I do this because I love him obedience. You know, one of the worst things in church life is to have a bunch of people doing tasks that are doing it because they feel like they have to. What I would really love to see is for everybody here to find a task or a thing that they could be a part of and be obedient to Jesus because they, because they want to. And then the joy that would cry out from inside of us and the excitement and the care by which we would take of other people and the good things that would come from the relationships that we would build would be very organic and very natural, and it would be obedience because of a, a motivation of love. You see, at the end of this passage that I read to you, and there's more to come, and my wife told me a couple weeks ago that I should put to be continued on these sermons because they're, I'm kind of cutting them off right in the middle of a good thought. So this is the dot, dot, dot to be continued. But at the very last part of this, it says, they saw this man who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. When you come to Jesus, if your life doesn't change in some ways dramatically, I mean, I'm just here to tell you, I was so incompatible with him, and so are all of us, that when we come to him, even if the changes look very internal to us, they will feel very visibly different to other people. And as a result, the world around you will not be comfortable with it. And you have to be prepared for that. You have to be prepared for the fact that there are certain things that we don't participate in anymore. But there are other things that we start participating in that people can't wrap our head around. I'll never forget my goddaughter showing up to our house and we were keeping her for a week. and, And, you know, I'm a pastor, so we go to church. And then we go home and we have lunch and then that afternoon we get ready and we go back to church. And that night when her mom called to talk to her, her mom says, well, did you have a good day today? She goes, yes, mom. We went to church twice. And one day, I I think that the thing that I would challenge you to look at is that when we see this picture, that we would realize that our Savior is putting a period at the end of this man's life. And we need to stop inserting an ex—I mean a question mark where wherever he puts a period, it's inappropriate. But we do it frequently. And so this morning, some of you are waiting to make a decision or you're waiting to be obedient or you're waiting for something in your life and you're afraid of who God is and you don't understand that his desire is for you and his joy comes from serving in a way that redeems you. And he wants to add a period right to your bondage and he wants to add a period right to your problems and he wants to put an exclamation point at the end of it. So you could take that question mark and erase it by surrendering today and being obedient instead of, it is I, be not afraid. Let not our anthem cry be, it's me and I'm scared. Would you stand with me today? I'm gonna invite Justin to come. And in a moment when I'm done praying, Brandon will be here and Boyd will be at the back and and you're welcome to come and talk to any of us during the invitation or, or shortly thereafter. We're gonna pray now, would you bow with me? Lord, we thank you for an opportunity, Lord, to come and, and see the scripture break us wide open, realizing that there are terrifying things that happen. But Lord, when you, when you changed my life, it was a little bit unnerving, and it was a whole lot scarier than, than we wanna admit at times. I'm so grateful for the change that you introduced into me and I hope and pray that you'll continue to change me every day I pray that that'll be the same prayer for many that are here that these changes over time Lord that they will be evident and that the world around us might see these miraculous things and be scared and then we might be able to love them enough to help them overcome that Lord make us obedient to you Whatever you're asking us to do, whenever you're asking it, let us never forget that you are the king who commands the demons. Let us never forget that your authoritative voice is, is supreme and sovereign, even in our lives. Lord, let us surrender today to you. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.